This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. What will you choose? No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18+. plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello everyone and welcome along to the Real EFL podcast with me, your host Matt Isles. You're probably used to hearing me talk all things League One, but myself and League One contributor Johnny Hunt, who's alongside me today, bring you something a little bit different. As everyone knows, we talk all things EFL and we are going to be speaking to someone who really is an EFL stalwart and a damn good goal scorer at no fewer than 14 different EFL clubs in his long spanning career before a career later on in the non-league scene with even himself trying his hand at management. Plus, even beforehand, he's even managed to play in the top flight as well. It's time to introduce Mr. Jamie Curiton. How are we? Very well, thank you. You okay? Yeah, very, very good. Thank you. You played for 21 clubs overall, league and non-league. So you haven't got enough fingers and toes to count um, those clubs. Can you actually name how many and all of them is the big question? Not to throw okay. you on the spot at all. <laughs> right. So here we go. Norwich, Bristol Rovers, Reading, Busan Icons, QPR, Swindon, Colchester. Is he cheating? Back. Is he cheating? Back. I'm counting. <laughs> Back to Norwich, uh, Shrewsbury, Bournemouth, yeah, Cheltenham, Exeter, Dagenham, yeah, uh, Bishop Stalford, Emfield, Hornchurch, uh, Leighton Orient, yeah. Tell you what, this is a great effort so far. <laughs> I did not, I did not think you could name that many. Uh, How many has he got left? Farnborough. Yeah, he's got one. I think he's got one more in there as well. Um, and Eastley. Oh, yeah, he got Eastley. I think, did you mention Barnsley? Did you say that one as well? No, uh, Barnsley on loan. That's there, what, yes, but on to be fair, one. you said 20 that's out of 21. That's, so that's a great effort. That's a great so I was trying to go back in my career, basically. Move, every move I was trying to sort of do year <laughs> by year. So the loans were the ones, yeah. <laughs> uh, just before we get started in sort of, you know, talk through Jamie's uh, career and sort of, you know, the moves he's had. Just a quick message to all our listeners from everyone at The Real EFL. Thank you for all the attention you've given us so far and the listens to our content. You've been absolute superstars and please, for our sake, do continue it. Um, I think the term and the saying, don't go back, doesn't actually necessarily apply to you, um, mm. Jamie, in some of your career moves. I mean, there's probably a lot of the time you've actually said unfinished business, probably uh, at some of your clubs that you've played for. But more on that later... Uh, and of course, that does go hand in hand, as I said, with the multitude of clubs that you have played for subsequently twice, three times or even four <laughs> times. Um, obviously, you know, this is a podcast myself. Uh, this one in particular, myself and Johnny, I'm have a big interest in, of course, um, because of two of the clubs that you played for, which we will touch on. Um, lots to discuss, of course, starting off with the fact you were born in Bristol, which is always nice. And great speaking to a fellow person born in the city. I can see you haven't got the accent, which is uh, no, not bad to some people probably listening to this. So, <laughs> no, I quite uh, like well it. So it's a shame I've lost it. Yeah, yeah it is a shame. <laughs> well, I'm very, I feel very, very proud about that response. But in terms of your youth career, you actually started at Bristol Rovers. You went to Southampton 
and then to Norwich. So, you know, mm. uh, very, very young age, it just shows you weren't afraid to make those sort of moves across the country. No, I mean, I started off just playing uh, sort of in the streets um, in Eastfield, where I grew up. Um, and I didn't actually start playing properly till I think it was under 10s, as in I got put into a team. Um, I played for St. Nicholas, um, who played out of Yate. Um, and I didn't, I'd always just played park football, street football with friends, older kids. Um, and then my dad knew someone, the manager, and I got put into a team. And I, I literally said, you know, where do I stand? What do I do? And basically it went from there. And I played for St. Nicholas uh, from under 10s to under 15s, I think it was. Um, and then in that period, I basically then started to, you know, go to teams and train. I trained at Bristol Rovers in soccer camps when I was seven. Um, I went on a camp, which I was, should have been 10, and we lied, and I, I went and um, was away for a few days. And then we used to train at Parkway um, when Dave Williams was there and Ollie and stuff when I was a young kid doing soccer skills. Um, and then from when I started playing, sort of from 10 upwards, I got spotted uh, by Southampton. Um, they had an academy in Bath on a Friday. So I used to go there on a Friday and then travel down to Southampton on the weekends and playing games and then that was sort of it i was in in the system um and obviously back then you couldn't sign until you were 14 so anyone could come and obviously offer you stuff and go to this club and that club and um i got sort of was had offers all over the place went to norwich and and just settled there and enjoyed it so from about 14 i was at norwich and obviously stayed there until i was 21. Obviously, you, as you said, you, you were at Norwich. It's where you started your senior career. How old were you when you made your debut? Uh, 19. 19. I should have made it at 18, really. But, but yeah, I was a bit disappointed well, in that. The reasons behind that, can you not disclose it? Yeah, I wasn't great. No, I wasn't the best professional at that age. Um, I mean, my first experience, I was sub um, away into Milan um, in oh, the, sort of the Champions League. Yeah, I was 18 at that point and he didn't bring me on. So I was a bit but that was my first sort of taste of first team action um but out of my group i was sort of i suppose regarded as the, the best prospect um and probably should have broken a lot sooner um but yeah i was a bit of a boy i'm not gonna lie and um my sort of sparring partner up there darren Eady, was a complete opposite and there's no wonder that he made his debut before i did <laughs> <laughs> was it uh, John Dean who gave you your, your debut at sort of Norwich? Because I can imagine yes. you know, football back then was a lot different to kind of mm. what it is now in terms of young players. Was it kind of a, a real hard school to try and, you know, get into the first team in that environment back then? Yeah, definitely. It was apprenticeship sort of stuff. Um, anything sort of goes, really. Um, you did all your jobs. Uh, you had pros to look after they could abuse you and do what they wanted to you and you had to to basically do whatever they wanted and to sort of crack to get into a first team you had to grow up really fast um you know it was a, a drinking culture and um a going out culture and if you didn't buy into that you know you you got bantered and abused and felt an outcast sort of thing so you had to really once you sort of got into that you had to go fully in with them um you know, so yeah, it was an interesting culture. Once you were in, the, the the lads and the pros were brilliant. You know, they were all great, but that was how they lived, and you felt that becoming a pro that was how you had to live. And everyone around that sort of time did the same. So it was sort of you didn't. No one knew any difference. So unless you weren't really a big drinker and you're a bit quiet, you could sort of stay out the way of it. But to want to be part of it and feel part of the first team and you know, I suppose get them on board, the senior pros and stuff, you had to sort of, I uh, well, go all in, I suppose, with it. And once you did, I found once I was in that sort of mode, you felt it was the norm. So you just went with it, I suppose, not realising that these boys are established pros and are all flying. You're trying to make your way in a game and, you know, starting off that way isn't probably the best way because you're always sort of playing catch up a bit. Um, but yeah, it was tough, but but good and enjoyable. And I wouldn't change it the, the way it was brought up. I probably would change certain things I'd done and maybe stepping back a bit from it. But I think it it, it sort of 
you grew as a person and you grew as a man and and, and whatnot. Um, and yeah, it was fine. You know, I, I'm not saying I wouldn't want to be around now in in the environments that the pro kids and Premier League boys get brought up in because they have everything. And for me, if they've got talent, shouldn't fail because you have everything at your disposal. Um, but yeah, it was it was good. It was fun. And you know, whenever you speak to older players, they will always go and revert back to that of, of how much fun it was that you could play football and literally try and be normal which I that was my biggest thing I wanted to be a footballer but be normal at the same time and you I didn't realize it quick enough that you can't be normal it's it's you're not a normal person once you're in that sort of bubble and I always felt that I wanted to be so I would go out with fans and just be normal and sit in pubs after scoring for Norwich and you know sit with the fan and I felt it was fine and normal but you had to separate yourself and as a young kid, I didn't do that. And I, I suppose I didn't want to. I wanted to be someone that people found that was just a guy that could play football and was a normal person and didn't want to be looked at as separate and big time and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, listen, it was it was fine. And I'm, I'm, I'm here now and everything's good. But yeah, there's there's things I would have changed in that period, which I think would have probably kept me at the higher level for longer if I would have done. Who was who was your sort of role model at Norwich doing? Because they had a good side back then, didn't they? You know, there's some really yeah. good senior pros. Is there I someone mean, that you looked up to, or someone that you kind of went, "Oh, he's not as good as I thought"? Or I got on really well with Ian Crook. Um, <clears throat> got on really well with him. Um, I used to look after Robert Fleck, Rob Newman, sort of boots. Right. They were they were all good guys, I have to say. Chris Sutton and. You know, they were all, Jeremy Goss was there, Gunny. So they all looked after you and were all good. But just how they their lives were, you sort of fell into that sort of way. And it was a bit, it was tough as a kid because you sort of felt you had to. Um, but yeah, as pros and as people, I speak to a lot of them now. Um, they were all good pros. They were all, you know, most of them were internationals, either for Wales, Scotland and stuff. Um, so it was a real good group, real good players. Um, but I think their careers had started and were established, so they were already in. But I think as a kid going into that, it, it was difficult to to start that way and then get out of it, yeah. and, and it was hard. And I think even when I left and went to Bristol Rovers, I was still in that sort of mindset. The players were still doing similar things on a smaller scale, but going out a lot and being out in Bristol. And again, I went home, I had everyone around me and it was like, you know, my mates and this. So you, it wasn't for a little while that I suddenly realized, thought I have to, you know, separate and, and, and if you want to sort of play at a high level and, and prolong your career and all that stuff, you have to separate it. But um, but the Norwich boys, yeah, were great. Rule Fox, you know, like I say, they were all really good pros and, and they all, you know, that group went on. Most of them moved on and played of big clubs so he's won the Premier League and you know they've all done really really well and it was a really good group um, uh, and it was like I say it was a good upbringing for me I think and how then like for you to to, to go from Norwich to to, to to go down levels did you have other offers to sort of or was there kind of like did you have like a reputation so it's like we've um, do you know I suppose I, mean? I had a reputation. Yeah, I suppose I did. But the funny thing was, which I probably, I won't sort of regret anything I'd done. But when I went to, to Rovers, it was on a loan deal with a view. To, the deal had already been agreed. And I think because of how I'd been at Norwich, they were sort of like all the potential I'd shown. There'd been too many off the field sort of going out and blah, blah, blah. I think they were like, is he going to fulfill the potential that we thought he could have? And they'd agreed that I went to, to Rovers and I scored, I think, five in six or something stupid. And the deal was done, but I didn't have to sign. So I okay. could have gone, no, I'm going back. And I'm either going to prove to you that I can get in your first team and play. I mean, they were only in the championship at the time and Rovers were in League One. So it wasn't a massive drop. Yeah. Or I could have gone back and then gone, OK, what else is out there? Um, but I enjoyed it so much. And in my head, I was like, I can go to Bristol Rovers, I'll go and bang in 20, 30 goals and I'll get a move. And that was sort of my mindset. 
and I'm going home. I'd been away. I'd left home at 15. So it was going back, seeing my parents and, you know, all my family and stuff. So it was like, you know, I'll come back and I'll get things sorted and it'd be fine. Um, and that was that. But yeah, I didn't really look out and see if there was any more options. I'm sure, you know, I would imagine there would have been because um, I was out of contract, I think. I think I had one more year I was out of contract that summer. Um, but once the deal was agreed, I knew then Norwich obviously didn't want me because why would you agree a deal? Because I think they paid 250 for me. I'd imagine the month I had, they probably could have got a lot, lot more, but they'd agreed it. So that was sort of telling me, you know, we, we obviously don't want you. And I'm one of them. If I don't feel I'm wanted, then I won't hang around. So yeah. um, it was sort of like, you know, I've loved it here. It's, it's been really good. So I'll, I'll, I'll sign. And basically, I agreed to do and sign a four-year contract as soon as my loan ended. Well, your Norwich story doesn't end there, as we'll touch on sort of later on. Um, <laughs> prior, before we do talk about Rovers, which no doubt I'll, I'll really enjoy hearing, you had a little loan spell at Bournemouth under Mel Machin. Um, a, a, a Bournemouth, I can imagine a lot different to what they are now. I mean, you know, you could have imagined the rise that they've sort of had in the last, what we're talking, you know, sort of 20 years or, or 30 years, I should say, sort of near enough when, when you sort of played. I mean, what, what was the club like back then to, to kind of what it is oh. now? You know, probably a lot of people don't imagine that Bournemouth, you know, <laughs> did have a lot of those issues in the past, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot different. I mean, I got sent there as a, I felt as a punishment. Martin O'Neill was my manager at, at Norwich and, you only have to do one thing that he doesn't like and you're sort of out of the picture. Um, and I think as a, what would I have been, 20? 19, yeah, 20. And he come in and I think in training or something, I was, I'd finished the season in playing. That was in the Premier League. We got relegated and he come in. So I'm thinking I'm going to be first sort of choice alongside Ashley Ward. And I think we played a practice game and I did something. I flicked one around the corner rather than hold it. He sort of had a moan. I might have said something back. Then I'm out of the squad. And then the next thing, I'm going to Bournemouth on loan. I then worked out later on that him and Mel Machen are good friends because I didn't start a game. I basically got sent to Bournemouth and sat on the bench. I've been voted in their worst ever team. And I'm like, well, I didn't play for you, so I don't even know how. So I only did a month. Um and I think it was a case of him just, that's how he is, just mm. got me out and his mate was down there. So that was that. But yeah, Bournemouth was completely different. Um, obviously, the ground was run down um, where we trained. They had some good players there, but yeah, it was completely different to what it is now. And I uh, stayed in a hotel. Michael Dubry was on loan from Chelsea at the same time. So we sort of pallied up and... As in, again, taking me to a city that, or to, you know, Bournemouth is lively and stuff. So I'm on my own in a hotel, not playing. So it's like, you know, you, you end up enjoying sort of the more off the field stuff than on it. Um, and then Martin O'Neill left because he fell out with the owners at Norwich and I come back. Um, and then that was it. But yeah, Bournemouth was all right, like I said, but I didn't play. You know, it was a case of, I think he just wanted me out the door. His mate was a manager down there and he was like, just take him on loan. Because um, I don't know how you come from a higher league and literally sit on the bench every game. It was like, it was a pointless loan, really. I just used to come off the bench and that was about it. Um, but yeah, it's it's not the club <laughs> that you see on the telly now. Definitely not. We <laughs> used to live by the ground, the old, the old ground before the they moved around in Kings yeah. Park there. Oh my God, it's such a different world now, isn't it, to what they've got? Yes. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. Because I played against them a lot for all my other clubs in sort of League One and <clears throat> stuff like that and yeah the club is you know it shows you what you can achieve if you get things right you have the right owners right infrastructure you know get the right man in charge and obviously Eddie Howe at the time you can you can you know establish a really good good football club and and, and be at the highest level you know and they're a club that gets 12,000 fans to home games you know so it shows you anything's possible Kind of, you know, hearing when you said about how you had a bit of a bad ending at Norwich and then you've not really played, it almost felt like when, you know, Rovers have gone in for you, it almost feels like, yes, you're, you're kind of going home, but it feels like for your career at that time, it was the perfect move because you didn't really look back. You had a sort of four-year spell where you were very prolific, but whilst you were really good individually, maybe 
the team probably didn't quite achieve what it should have done, as we were sort of discussing a little bit sort of before we sort of started this podcast. How would you sort of assess Rovers at that time? Because they only just moved into the Memorial Stadium, didn't they, after playing in Bath for um, nearly 10 years because of what happened sort of in Eastville and mm. the story behind that as well. So what was what was the club like sort of then? And obviously yourself on a personal level, you know, kind of going back to an earlier question, you know, did you almost feel like it was a move when you look back at it that it was just perfect in every single way? Because it probably kind of propelled you back into the spotlight, would you say? Mm. Yeah, I think so. I think that's why, why I sort of agreed to sign because going home, obviously not, doing so well at Norwich it was <clears throat> like you say a perfect sort of thing I wasn't going into an unknown I knew obviously Ollie already I'd, I'd sort of known him from growing up I was going back home so I knew I wouldn't have to adjust to anything my friends my family everyone was there um, and I was going to play football so yeah in a football sense it was probably the perfect club to go to at that point because it gave me a platform without having to adjust my lifestyle I was just coming back home everything was, was sort of fine. As a club, it was different. We trained at Briz, um, Port of Cabins, um, pitches weren't great. So again, you know, we then, I think throughout my career, we then moved again to the beaches. So it wasn't the glitz and glam. It wasn't what I was used to. I'd come from Norwich with a new purpose-built training ground and, you know, a, a lovely stadium and stuff. But for me, it's never, as much as it's nice and, you, everyone loves the nicer things. For me, it's about playing football, enjoying your football, and that's sort of it. And as long as I get the chance to do that, I can deal with most other things, whether they're great or they're not. You know, it's, it's not a problem. Um, but it was a funny sort of club. You know, Ollie was coming back. We were coming back to Bristol. It was a chance to, you know, move the club on. You know, everyone was happy we were back in, in the city. Um and Ollie was starting to try to build a team that he felt could could get us out of League One. Um, and we had, in my time there, obviously a few changes around. And, and in the end, for the probably the two the last two years, we had a real settled group um, that was really good. But in the first instance, it was enjoyable. You know, obviously, I went there expecting to the club to do better and us to to be challenging. And I think the first two years we didn't really do that. Um, but again, there was a lot of chopping and changing. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like I say, it, there's nothing better for me than playing for your team that, that you grew up watching and you have friends and family that support. Um, and that was always a big thing, you know, the fact that I was playing for a team that a lot of my friends from school supported. So, yeah, that was really good. Um, and the club moved on as we went, but it just probably didn't, like I say, get to the heights that we all wanted it to and um, probably what the team was expecting. And probably even what Ollie was and, you know, fans were expecting and everyone else. And it just didn't move as quickly forward as probably what the team did and some of the individual players did. Um, and I think that's why, like I said, in you know, off sort of camera bit, that we didn't, this didn't keep the squad together because of that. Because I think reputations got bigger. Players were brought in, like myself, Jason, Barry, you know, players were coming from non-league and they outgrew the club in two years, yeah. which is shouldn't happen. You know, the club should be moving a lot quicker than signing a player from non-league and then he leaves two years later because he's suddenly outgrown the club. And I think that was a was a problem. Um, and that's why in the period I was there, so many players left. You know, you, you, lost, you only have to look at the centre-forwards and Nathan, Bobby, me, Jason, Barry. I mean... Yeah. You know that. Yeah, when you look, I mean, at one stage we had, I mean, me, Jason, Nathan, and Bobby. That was a front four, and our understudies under me and Jason were Nathan and Bobby Zamora. You know, and obviously before that we had Beads and and Baz and myself. Mm -hmm. Then Jace come in, so it was like a conveyor belt. And then what is interesting is once that, like Bobby and Nathan went, is what come after that in a very sort of short period which which never matched up to it and you think you had a a group especially nathan and bobby who were a lot younger that should be taking the club forward and in the end they outgrew the club as well you know so i think that was a a big problem that the club probably wasn't ready or didn't expect the type of players to come in what we could do and where we could take the club 
and maybe the club was a bit like, well, we can't, we don't find, we can't finance going with this. I, I, I don't know because to take us to the championship would that would have put a lot more pressure financially on the club and on the owners and stuff. And you know, I just yeah, don't feel that the infrastructure was built strongly enough to to sustain what what the players were doing. Um, and then if that happens. Unfortunately, players then move on because they all want to play higher. They all want to have ambition. Clubs will obviously see that and want to take them. And that's sort of the problem, you know, and, and that's in the end what happened and, 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 and why obviously a lot of us left in the end. I'm still traumatised. Now you're a Reading legend, Jamie, stuck 6-0 <laughs> at the Majeski, you and Jason Roberts. Like, we both, lo- we all love you now, but at that time, that was so traumatic. <laughs> but that, like, games like that, how often do they come along for you as, as strikers where you just go, geez, um, can't do anything wrong, stu- you know? Yeah, st- stupidly, at Rovers, it happened quite a lot. Stupidly, we beat a lot of teams. I think we went to Oxford and beat them five and... Like we scored a lot of goals at that period in the two-year period when we won, we beat teams a lot. But yeah, to to score four and your strike partner get two and six nil away from home, I think there was three thousand fans behind the goal. It was, it doesn't happen that that often going away from home and, and and doing that. And I'm sure along the years since I've left, it's hardly happened. And they are special days without a doubt. And and that's the the shame of it is that's what we could do. You know, we were a good team and I've always said it's the best team I've been in and, and not achieved anything in, in my whole career. I've achieved stuff in teams that weren't as good as, as what we had. Um, and that's always been sort of a big, like, sort of disappointment that being at Rovers for four years and not actually winning something, you know, with the team we had, it was a travesty, really. Um, but there was times it happens. You, were, you were you were flying, weren't you? If I remember rightly, you were, and then it just kind of tailed off. Yeah, the out. final year we were top. Yeah, with ten games to go. Awesome. Yeah, we we were top with ten games to go, and we won one game in ten, I think, which was Bristol City, and I think we drew, lost the rest, and I think we ended up finishing seventh and not even making the playoff. Yeah. I get a lot of stick for it and I think Jason does as well that we down tools and everything but there was nothing no one would have wanted to win promotion more than me um, I think there was a lot of decisions that were made in the in the group I think transfers were made we lost Ronnie Mogier we lost our midfield and we didn't replace them um, we brought in young kids and we brought in players that were unproven and our team I think in the end for what our team was to when we had the injuries to where it finished. I mean, I played in midfield for some of the games. Um, We signed, I think, Nigel Pierre. I think we signed Nigel Pierre. I think we we signed Jordan Stewart, another boy from Chelsea. But we lost Ronnie Moje. I think we lost David Pritchard uh, at certain times in this running. And for me, when you look for a team that's top of the league and you're losing your key midfielders, you go and sign even better midfielders. Yeah. And we didn't do it. And I think I played in some of them in a midfield three. You know, I was top goal scorer at the club. I was playing in midfield. But as it as it went on and then we end up losing away at Cardiff, like me, I got abused that I didn't try and blah, 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 and I'd given up. But the damage was done way before that, but I wouldn't have um, would have ever turned up to any game and not try. Um, but I think people looked at it. I think because we left after it, I think people started to think that we down tools at that point. Yeah. If I would have stayed and tried to help us achieve it the following year, maybe no one would, but it's easy excuse to say that. But mm. no, I didn't at any stage and I don't think any of the players did. I just think that when we needed help, we didn't get it. And I think certain decisions that were made cost us because how a team can be top with 10 games to go and then win one game out of 10 is beyond me. You know, I that, don't know, actually, it's beyond you, James. I think that happened with us as well, didn't it? A couple of years later. <laughs> yeah, it did. We drew every game, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It must be me. But yeah, you know, it's, it's, um, it's disappointing when you look, when I look back and I look, you know, at that season and how well and how good we were to be in that position and not even make the playoffs is is a joke but it's very easy that certain people get the finger pointed at them 
and yeah. once someone does that everyone jumps on it and it's like you know it was jamie and jason they didn't if you if you, if you went back and studied every game of the last 10 i'm pretty sure that people would have a different opinion um but i for me it was the players we lost and who we replaced them with and our team in the last 10 games was weaker than it was prior yeah. to prior to that happening and, and that's for me the only thing that I can put it down to um, and once you start losing and the panic sets in and pressure kicks in you know key players are missing you know that's that's basically what happened and like I say we went from first to seventh I think um, in, in 10 games and yeah you know it, it, everything my whole career could be completely different because if we don't do that and we get promoted no one leaves and i might have been there for another three or four years so it's it's what it is and at that point after that happened i felt that that was sort of it for me i needed to move um, yeah. because i felt that we didn't get backed in that season and i felt that i'd spoke to other players and they were looking at probably moving on and i felt we're not going to have the same group again um and why do you want to stay in a team that might struggle and not win things when you want to move on and you want to progress and I wanted to get up the leagues my, you know my aim was to sign for Rovers and get back to the Premier League so I was at Rovers for four years I was going into my fifth and I was still in the same league mm. so it was like as much as you want to stay as much as you love the club at some point you know I was 25 when I joined Reading you know you stay another few years suddenly it's late 20s and your career is really over so um I made a decision. I spoke to Ollie and, and said that I felt it was the right time to move on. And again, typically I spoke to him. I think Jason spoke to him. I didn't hand a transfer request in, nothing like that. The headline in the evening post the next day, Jamie and Jason handing transfer requests. This podcast is sponsored by the wonderful people over at NordVPN. The 2023-24 campaign is set to draw to a close, but the football never truly stops. With the Olympics, Euro 2024 and the new season set to commence in no time, make sure you don't miss any of the action wherever you may be in the world by downloading NordVPN. For just the price of one cup of coffee per month, NordVPN allows you to watch your favourite teams, players, shows and movies anywhere in the world, even if they aren't available in your region, simply by switching the location on your device to one which is showing the content. NordVPN also acts as your cyber bodyguard, protecting your personal data and other sensitive information such as credit cards and passwords from falling into the wrong hands, which is always a worry when you travel abroad. And with just one subscription to NordVPN, you can use this service across six different devices, which is incredibly handy if you're traveling with your family and or loved ones. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash realEFL. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support our podcast too. The link is in the podcast episode description box. So now... Back to the podcast. Away days are great, especially when your striker bags a last-minute winner. But there's nothing quite like playing at home. And do you know what? The same goes for McDonald's. Why not maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery? Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, obviously, talk about... We'll obviously talk about Holloway in a minute because obviously he took you um, later on in your career as well at QPR. Yeah. But you did mention there you signed for Reading in uh, 2000. You know, you said about how Rovers weren't an ambitious club from before you came to sort of after you, you left, obviously. And the club's probably never really been that close to getting into the championship, which was your aim. Someone mm. who's highly ambitious, which you can't really fault for on a personal level, was Reading the kind of club at that time that really ticked all the boxes for you, you know, in the early 2000s? You know, was it anything that you heard about it, exactly what it was like in your couple of years you had at the club? Yeah, I mean, ideally for me, when I when I said I wanted to go, I thought that I would have, no disrespect to Reading at the time, but I thought I would have offers from higher up. You know, every centre forward that had left, had gone for millions of pounds and to higher league. And I'd outscored all of them. You know, no one had scored more goals than Bristol Rose and I had. And every single centre forward that left went for over a million pounds and to a team in the championship or above. I couldn't tell you even now, 20 odd years on, why. You know, I have no idea. And that, that was when I'd done it, that was what I thought. I'd played for Rovers for four years scored goals every year 20 plus goals one golden boots 
that's in League One. Why would you, a championship team, not want to take you? I was 25 coming into my prime. So when I said it to Ollie and said, look, I'd like to move on, that was what I was thinking. So it was like, okay, I'll sit and wait and see what clubs come up. Um, and I think the first one was mentioned was Hibs. Um, and from what I heard, they bid 500 grand. So this obviously made me laugh for what I went for after that. And it was turned down. <laughs> and I was sort of a bit like, okay, I, I would think of it. They were in the Premier League in Scotland. I think Alex McLeese was a manager. So it's like, okay. So it was of interest, but not ideal. So we sort of sat tight. Um, there wasn't a lot going on. There was a lot of chit-chat, nothing concrete. I ended up starting the season. I played the first game, scored, and... I think we played Bournemouth, actually. I think I scored a penalty. So I was like, okay, if I'm here, then I'll play and we'll see what happens. Um, and then I got a phone call from my agent, I think after that game, and said, Reading, basically agreed a deal and they want you. So it was a, it was a funny one because I had to think I'm not leaving the league. I'm still in it. There wasn't a lot else going on. So it's like, okay, do I stay? in the team when I knew everyone was leaving, my strike partner had gone and everything else. Or do I move to a club that's spending big money? Their ambition is to win the league. There's a stadium, there's a this, you know, the, as, like I said earlier, the foundations are there and they're going for it. You know, they're signing players for 700 grand and some butts, some fuzzy. They were going for it. They were building a team that you looked at and thought, well, yeah, you've got every chance of, of getting out of this league in a year, if not two. So it was like, okay, I'm happy to to go and sort of talk to them. And, you know, you go to the ground, especially back then. Jesus, it was, you know, just one of the best stadiums around. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to trust my instincts that I will eventually get to where I want to be. Um, and that was that. I didn't even know what the fee was at the time. And then obviously I sign and all of a sudden I've cost 250 grand. I'm like, well, that's what Rovers bought me for. I've done four years and scored goals and golden boots. Surely there's an increase. And that was it. And for me then I look, and I'm as disappointed as the fans are because I'm thinking I'm worth a lot more money than that. So why have I gone for this? And three of my strike partners who I've scored more goals and yeah, they might have different attributes of what they do. But I do my job and I've done this and I'm going for 10 times less. And Rovers will accept that. And I had three years on my contract. Mm. So they could have gone no. Plus I then had heard that Hibs had bid 500. So how am I going for less? Obviously then I go and all hell breaks loose. And I'm like, everyone else has walked out the door. And no one has said anything. They've all been congratulated for what a great career they've had at Bristol Rovers. I leave and I'm like the most hated man in Bristol. I'm like, how does that work? You know, because I've done nothing more than anyone else as in wanting to go and deciding to leave. I didn't set a fee. I didn't negotiate anything. I was told, the deal's been done. You can go. Okay, not a problem whether that was 10 million, I didn't have a clue. And I then go and agree my contract and go and sign. And then all of a sudden there's a backlash which went on for the best part of, I don't know, five to 10 years. And I'm like, I didn't do anything. And I'm seeing players go back to Bristol Rovers who played about 10 games and getting standing ovations. <laughs> I, I scored nearly 200, like, and I'm going back getting booed and abused on the street and my mum's getting abused. Uh, wow, I got to you're in the wrong, you, you know, you're actually having got the wrong person. The people you should be speaking to is Ian Holloway in Dunford. They're the two people that were involved in the deal. Mm. I was sat at home and was told it's done or it's not. And I was at the whim of everyone else. And if I was told it wasn't, I'd have played the next game for Rovers. And it was like I took all the stick. And then you know what it's like. Everyone starts to then decide why. So this gets said, that gets said, I'm on drugs. I slept with... <laughs> yeah, I, I, there must have been 10. I'd slept with one of the players' wives. I slept with the, uh, I'd been on drugs. I was doing this, I was doing that. All of a sudden, I slept with the chairman's daughter. And that was it. 
That was the one I heard. Yeah. <laughs> I have heard that rumour as well a few years yeah. ago, to be fair. There was, there was another five or six rumours, but that one stuck. Everyone thought, oh, okay, yeah. And then that was it. I'd slept with the chairman's daughter who was underage, and that's why I got sold. Well, if she was underage, I'd have been arrested. That You know, it was like, made no sense. And this but is 2002, like, Jamie, isn't it? We're not, we're not talking about social media no. world that we're living in now. This is... Oh, um, Jesus, if it was like now, no, my God. Internet. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, hold on, what? How has this ever... How has this now happened? And it was quite bad. For Like I say, my, I obviously moved. But at the time, I was living in Bristol and I wasn't going to move because I thought Ren's up the road. And I had people walking past my house, screaming and shouting. My mum was walking down the street and... She had actual friends ask her, like, honestly go, has Jamie slept with... And, and, and like, my mum would be like, what? Like, you're actually asking me that. And I, in the end, it went on for ages. I, I got into a fight once in Bristol because I was going in the toilets and someone said something from behind and I literally just saw Red turn around and, like, like hit. Because wow. it got to a point where it was that much where even friends were questioning me. I was like, are you kidding me? Like... And it, because obviously, you know, it's like if you start something and it was like the whole of Bristol, you know, and that was it. So once you start it, everyone believes it. I mean, my worst two games, I played obviously Rovers twice that season. I had to go to Bristol City and my God, I had, I got abused from the moment I got off the bus to the moment I got back on it. Every time I played them, I mean, they hated me as it was, but that was just another thing they could just celebrate. And it was unbelievable. And I, I sort of, Went through a period where, yeah, it affected me a bit, but I was, luckily, I'm quite strong-minded and I knew, obviously, there was nothing in it and it probably made me more determined. But, yeah, for a period of time, I didn't go home, really, and I always expected to hear something from someone. But for me, the worst thing was was friends and stuff actually asking the mm. question. Um, and no one come out. Bristol Rovers, at no point, yeah, made, that is bad. not one statement. Not one statement. And they knew. I mean, my... One of my first games, I'd come back to Rovers that, that season and I got abused. Bristol Rovers didn't come out. No. And then I heard something that later on, as time went on, Ollie was told he couldn't speak. Otherwise, he would be in breach of his contract. So a lot was covered up. And then even further down the line, I was in um, a function and the Reading people were there and stuff like that. And... Someone said, oh, like we paid 500 grand for you, something like that. I was like, oh, is that right? <laughs> so something slipped up where I think personally money was spent and didn't get disclosed, I think. Mm. And I think because I've heard so much now later on as we've gone on about certain things, and I'm not so sure that what was put out there was as true as it as it was. And I think that's why... For me, everyone hid behind me and just pushed me out in front and said, just, you know, so Rovers at no point. So bear in mind, they bought me and sold me. They didn't get, none of the fans said anything to them. Like now, if they sold one of their top players for less, they would, you'd gun for the club. Because of what happened with me, the club got away scot-free. Bear in mind, they've negotiated the deal. No Jamie, one do you said think anything that's because you were a local lad as well? Like it was a convenient scapegoat because how dare you leave? Yeah, one hundred percent. The other guys, yeah, no easy. offense, they weren't local players. Yeah, such. I think so. I, I think so. But if they got more money, then say you got more money, then this doesn't happen. So why mm. would you not say you got more money? Obviously, mm. because someone along the line and people have pocketed it. Must have done. Mm. If that's what's happened, but. If not, and you took that money, then then come out and go. Mm. This is all we were offered. Yeah, like you know, make a statement to then take it off of me. But because it all went on, everyone just sat back. You know, the whole of Bristol, like I didn't go back to Bristol Rovers, like the club, for years because even like I was getting abused even if I went in to watch a game. So it it took it took away probably five or six years of my connection with Bristol Rovers. You know, I think I was at Leighton Orient and played Bristol Rovers and got booed. We're talking however long after I'd left. And I'm still like, you know, I'm one of your top, I'm in your top 10 yeah. goal scorers of all time. I'm yeah. a Bristol lad. I've given everything for four, nearly five years. I've not done anything wrong, but I was getting abused. And 
yeah, I was disappointed that no one ever come out. No, no, even Bristol like radio, no one rang me and interviewed me. No one wanted to speak about it. No one actually asked me, okay, what is it? Why? What happened? Because I'd have said this. Mm. So no one, it was like, you've gone, you can get abused. And obviously, typically of that, other clubs that don't like me took it on. So Brentford, I went there, used to get battered, same sort of thing, obviously Bristol City. So it become a thing that more clubs mm. clung on to it as well. So it become a bit bigger. Um, and How it was, do you yeah, tell that mentally, Jamie? Like, you know, back just, in those days, you know, like yeah. we're, it's 20 years I ago. I don't know. About the world we're in now. No, there was no one. You just, again, you had to man up sort of thing, I suppose, and you just dealt with it. There were times when you were obviously a bit down and upset and you don't, go out as much and don't socialize and mine was more my family like my mum used to get like stick about it and she used to ring me crying and i suppose that was the more upsetting thing i could always get away from it and and i was away at the time i, I obviously moved out of bristol um but i just got on with it i knew it wasn't true and that was always my biggest thing and mine was more anger that you know no one actually that was my biggest thing that no one at any point mm. stood up and made a statement you know and it wasn't like it wasn't common knowledge you know everyone knew and everyone understood what i was being accused of and you know it tarnished a bit of my time at rovers which i was you know that's what disappointed me as well because i should have left and thanked everyone and everyone would hopefully thank me for my time and and i suppose accepted why i was leaving and everyone would move on and you'd be fine but it was like you know, my whole time at the club, what I'd achieved and what I'd done, just been sort of blown up, really, because of, I don't, I don't, exactly, I don't even know why, because the club agreed a fee, that the fans, and I, I agreed with the fans, that's the stupid thing. I actually agreed and was like, yeah, no, that is cheap. I shouldn't be sold yeah. for that. That's That makes no sense. So I agreed. You didn't complain, I have to say. Oh, exactly, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure Sir John Badesky was quite happy about it. Yeah, John, John was. <laughs> I was in the same thing. And I, it used to annoy me because I was like, well, are they that much better than me? That they're like, So it annoyed me in a way. So I, I understood it. I understood it all. And like, even just looking at it black and white, you sign someone for that. He's achieved a hell of a lot in four years. Surely he's worth even a little bit. No, no, that, that would make sense. So, yeah, it was a it was a difficult period overall because it overshadowed what I'd done. It was a club I liked. I still knew a lot of people there. So it separated me from them for quite a while because I started to resent them. And, you know, I didn't want nothing to do with the club and stuff because I felt, you know, I was, I was being abused by it. So, yeah, it was disappointing in that period. But... You know, luckily, I'm for whatever reason I could get my head down and just go. Obviously, when you went to you know Red and we which we touched upon, I mean, obviously a lot of the stuff that sort of surfaced about um, sort of Bristol Rose, I must admit, I, I had no idea. So it's actually really refreshing that you actually opened up and um, sort of spoke about it really um, to, to that extent. Um, kind of moving away from that. You have seemingly struck up good partnerships in the past at previous clubs. Um, so, you know, obviously you mentioned at Rovers some certain players there, like Jason Roberts and things like that. So Colchester, which we'll touch on later on as well. Um, but it was at Reading where you had a, a certain partnership with a, a Martin Butler that uh, you became one of the most feared striker partnerships in the Football League. And I mean, your, your time at Reading included a goal in a playoff final, a goal that got, you know, the club promoted to the Championship or the First Division back then. So, you know, kind of as well, moving away from kind of the first question I said, you kind of didn't quite get the admiration you perhaps deserved at Rovers rightfully for what you did. But then at Reading, you probably on the contrast had it a lot different because, you know, you, you scored goals at big, important times like you did at your previous club as well. So kind of two different worlds, yeah. I guess. Yeah, completely. And and the stupid thing was that the, I think the price tag was ben more beneficial going to Reading because they, that's that I was called a bargain. So it sort of <laughs> played into, bargain, yeah, <laughs> so it sort of played in, into that, that they got me cheap and they felt that my time there, I give them way and above what, what they paid for me. So I suppose it were, but yeah, for the moment I walked through the door, um, <clears throat> I scored on my debut. I think I scored in the first three games. 
Um, you scored against Rovers as well, didn't you, Jamie? That that season. Yeah, at home. that season. I got. I had to go in front of the FA after that for my celebration. Yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> yeah. Just rub it in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I had to just John Medeski come with me, and basically he pleaded the case of the abuse up because I was getting obviously mm. abuse for the same thing. So he actually sat with me in the FA and basically spoke about what had been going on. Um, so yeah, but it was. I, I turned up there and I was I basically just carried on my form of what I was doing at Rovers. Um and I just turned up. I think I scored against Leighton Orient in the cup. I think it was Port Vale and Stoke. All three headers as well, first three goals. So and it just sort of went from there. But again, I was joining a team that was full of top players that, that were better than League One. And that was again why I went, because you looked around and it was a team blessed with with top players um, and Butts was was one of them and back then it was it was 4-4-2 you always played two up top and he was a perfect four for me worked very hard with a good touch unselfish um, and I think in the year I got 30 and I think he got 26 oh it's a crazy season wasn't it wow I think that was the first year to Walsall wasn't it he lost in the final yeah yeah, and it was just one of them. But we had a team that created chances. We had we had good players throughout the team. Um, Darren Kasky, my hero. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was, yeah. Me. Top top player. You know, there was players everywhere. You know, and it was Pards had built a team. He was allowed to spend money, and basically the ambition of the club was to get promoted, and and that was the aim. That was as simple as that. Um, and yeah, my first year couldn't have gone any better. I got thirty goals. I won the Golden Boot. We lost in the playoff final. So after it was, you know, everything that I'd wanted and it was, we fell one hurdle short, but we could have won the league. And again, we <laughs> slipped up and, and messed up again. Yeah, we got to the playoff the final. Curse, and, I think it should be yeah, called. the curse. The yeah, exactly. The again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I'll start getting sticky from all the other clubs again. <laughs> um, yeah, it was like, it, the, if we'd have won in the playoff, it would have been a perfect ending. For, for everything that had gone on that sort of year. Um, but unfortunately, we, we fell short. We were winning 2-1 in extra time and uh, we ended up losing 3-2. One of those things, but it went from probably the best season at that point I'd had to the worst. That one feeling of losing in the playoff final was something I'll never forget. It was horrific. Yeah, <laughs> horrific. Because you sort of all your hard work, everything you go through and you suddenly lose and you're like, I've got to do that all again. Um, How hard so, yeah, is that, Jamie? For, for like, going, um, like, because like we were a good side that season and you, like, Rougie's own goal. Yeah. Like, we were cruising that game, weren't we? And and then, like, you, you have to start again the next season. Cask left, a few others left. Kind yeah, of it's difficult. Build. It is difficult, but I think when you're at a club that that's the ambition the soul when we come back was we're going again and we're going to go up. So you sort of, some clubs you can be at when you fell, it's like, okay, we'll reset and have a look at it. But it was like, we're going like to go Rovers, for it again. Talking about earlier where Rovers yeah. Didn't, yeah. When we didn't, when you would go, okay, we're there near enough. We if, a little bit more and yeah. we have a chance. Some will go the other way and go, okay, we'll sit with what we've got and, a couple of players might go. We won't. Re- where we were like, you know, this is what the club was was about. We need to go up. So mm. it, the pre the off season is probably the worst because it's like oh, all your hard work. Think about it. once you start back and get going, the excitement starts, and then it's focused on you know the main topic is we're going to go up. So you sort of get excited again. Um, obviously, we had different players come in, fresh faces and stuff. Um, so yeah, it's it's not too difficult because your determination normally is even greater because you're going. I don't want to go through that again. Um, and then thankfully we nearly did, but we managed to sort it out. I'm not blaming you so. again for that last ten games, Jamie. <laughs> well, you got, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't think I played a lot in the last ten. I mean, was it was it was nine? Played. We had nine nine draws. Nine wasn't draws, wasn't it? And yeah, we'd probably one, only one needed to win three games or something. We'd have gone up. Yeah. Yeah. but like that, going like going to that, like it was again, you know, roundabouts, isn't it? You know, Steve Copper was at Brentford. Uh, yeah, yeah Sid, Sidders was there, wasn't he? Inga Marson, Sonks. 
Yeah, yeah. You went there that yeah. day, the last game of the season. Obviously, as a running fan, you know, that was a, a crazy day. One of the biggest days in our history. We would never have been the Reading that we'd become because of that day and what you did. And you're on the bench. I know we talked about this before, but that that game is uh that goal you scored was if anyone's not a Reading fan, watch it because it's the most sublime finish <laughs> from uh, a poacher that I admire, and it 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 was just the day, wasn't it, Jamie? If you could explain it to the pressure that you must be under, we had to get yeah. a draw. Brentford yeah, we needed a win. draw. They had to win. If they won, they finished second. We finished third. We were in the playoffs. If we avoided defeat, we were second. They were third. So, and they were one to one, weren't they? Um, yeah. So it was all all on it, and it was typical. We we're away from home two teams that could get promoted on the last day of the season play each other. So it was, uh, yeah, a pressure cooker day because we hadn't been playing well. We obviously hadn't been winning. We put ourselves in this position by our performances. So, yeah, massive day, especially after what had happened the year before, losing in the playoffs. So you go from like, we've got this and we're fine, to then all of a sudden you start to not win. And you're like, well, we could end up being in the playoffs again. So Does it get in your yeah, head? In that running, those games, because there was games, I think I remember Peterborough and you were winning and, and then the last minute goals and things. Do you I, go? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think it can do that. Pressure mounts and if you don't deal with that, then football, as you all know, watching it for so long, you can do funny things. And if you, you know, it's it's the team and the players that are calm and I suppose understand the process they're going through, believe in everything that normally come out on top. But once you start to have doubt, um, especially as a group, then, you know, things will come up against you and, and you'll struggle. And I think that's what we maybe had, is, is maybe without admitting it, but for a team that's done so well, the same with the Rover situation. Once it does creep in, it's very hard to get rid of. And like I say, players won't at the point, at the time, stand up and go, oh yeah, but it can subconsciously start to get in and you do stupid things and you don't do things you normally would do when you've been winning. And yeah, you start to sort of go into that sort of pattern and you lose and then it becomes even more the next one, the next one. So yeah, going into the last game was huge. Probably one of the biggest games I've played in because it was all or nothing again. You know, you sort of a promotion or it's a lottery of the playoffs and uh, turned up on the day, it was boiling hot um, and passing in the team and I won in it. So I was fuming Ooh. from basically the moment. He named the team... In the change rooms, then we would walk out and like in our tracksuit. So we would do it the other way. Most managers, you walk around the pitch, come in and they do it. But on that day, we did it. As soon as we got to the ground, he walked in, he named his team. And then we all, while they put the kit out, we went and had a wander. So I was walking around fuming because I like the pressure. I like all that. That's why I play forward and why I play because I want to be that person that takes it all on and is the hero type thing so to not be involved I was disappointed I, I think I'd been in and out that season anyway as well so yeah so I was a bit disappointed um, and I just remember Aidy Vivash you I got on really well we've come up and said you'll be the main guy today and you're like <laughs> yeah like, it's easy to say Thanks, yeah mate. it's easy to say but, <laughs> and and that was sort of it obviously then the game starts you're on the bench we're losing Pressure's obviously massively on. Um, what does Pard say to you? And do you like, like I said, get lost? He, he, like didn't, really, he, he didn't really say a lot. It was like just warm up and then you're going on. And that's sort of it. And then it's normally, you know, going, going grab us a goal. Half an hour left, wasn't it, Jamie? You came on. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. Yeah, about 30 minutes. Um, no pressure. And No, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> just need a goal. And that's it. And then you come on and you just, for me, it's just, you get into the game and I'm I'm always one that I'll always get chances in my head I always feel I will and um, I'm always confident no matter what run of form I'm in that if I get the chances I'll score um, and obviously I did and the celebration was more did. that's a, just a bit of an understatement as a running for any football fan <laughs> that's what's that goal as I did that finish like under pressure Forget the overhead kick from that bloke in the Premier League the other night. That was yeah, that's easy. Yeah. That was because I was behind the goal and I couldn't see the ball go in. I, I could right, just okay. see the crowd going nuts. <laughs> see the ball but that, yeah. But I suppose that's just me. I, like in that position, 
I, the the actual magnitude of the game and it I, I don't even wouldn't even be thinking about it would okay. just be concentrating on the ball and where I want it to be to to then the finish I want to make and not at any point is any doubt is is if I don't score like it's nothing it's just complete calmness and this is what I'm going to do in this situation and and that's it and I know it you'll go on it's, it's more than that but that sort of how I am in yeah in any of my finishes or whatever mm. it, there's no thought of anything outside of what I'm doing at that point you know that that I wouldn't have even thought what it meant when the ball's coming down until uh, until obviously after you know and it would it, it, it nothing would come into my head it's just that's the job I'm there to do and I've been in these situations millions of times and this is mm what I would do and thankfully it went to perfection um, and then the celebration was more like an up yours to part basically of like, <laughs> there you go that's what I do and that's why you should play me sort of thing that was because on the normal normal circumstance I'd have probably ran around jumped in the crowd and, and I'd sort so of that, wasn't it? ran off and as if to go <laughs> yeah, there you go like yeah you know this is what I do so yeah so it wasn't even a, a mental celebration of what it actually mm. meant it was my way of just going told you so pard like you know and <laughs> and that was it and I think once we got the goal we were on top then and yeah. um, I think we were then always going to see the game out I don't think we were going to concede after that and then when when the whistle goes obviously you've achieved what, what, what I wanted to achieve and I suppose why I left and yeah. that was sort of me in a way of proving to myself why I made the move um, and yeah it was crazy you know this, my it was my first promotion at that point um, and it was yeah mentally what, you quite can't really say anything else yeah it was very quiet yeah it was yeah. quiet I was probably on top of the bus for about two hours so. <laughs> that's what you're in football for and that's, that's yeah. why I played the game to, to achieve stuff win things have moments like that um, and it was yeah it was great and like I say it was a build up of what the club was wanting to do what the players who had joined wanted as well because we all wanted to improve you and move some on leaders on that pitch didn't you that was the yeah we had a yeah the team was was stacked with experienced players Vivash, Williams Mertz uh, Phil Whitehead um even like Fozzy but so we're all like mid 20s played at high levels and been around yeah um so we had there was the, the the squad when you look at it for a league one squad was was silly really you know we had a we had a really good team Andy Hughes and yeah. you know it Salarco, was a, it was a top yeah Salako yeah it was a top team you know you, you could put that team down and put it in the championship in our prime and it'd be fine you know it was a real good team and yeah we celebrated like 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 we should and you know, we achieved we? something. Yeah, we achieved something that, that that everyone wanted and the club wanted, yeah. and you know what we all set out to do. Um, and yeah, it, it was good. It was special for me because I've not played. It was like a a big thing for me to do that. I didn't at the time appreciate how everyone would feel, as in the fans. It was to me, I'm doing my job. We all wanted to get promoted. I didn't understand until later on the effect obviously what it had you know meant to the fans and, and and how highly they regard it you know for me it was like i'm playing i'm meant to score goals i've done that that's sort of it i suppose and i didn't really look at it as a historical thing of of, of how it would carry on sort of i suppose years and years on um, you just look at it and think that's your job that's what you're doing um and that's sort of it you know, I never looked at anything further down the line of how the effect it had on the club and, and how the club moved forward sort of, um, you know, because of that moment, I suppose. It's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching your team on iFollow. 
you've got your McNugget share box on the go. And you know what? Your mate's already got booked for double dipping. But then later on, you steal in, grab the last nugget and snatch all three points. Perfect. Why not order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app? Are you in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.